Good morning. Thank you, Joel, for praying, and it's wonderful to be together and worship together, isn't it? What a delight to sing together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning in the power of your spirit, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of this morning's sermon is Fuel for Ministry Endurance. So you might think that this is a sermon for those in ministry, and it is. And so you say, well, I'm not in ministry, so I can check out or take a nap. But I say, not so fast. You are in ministry. See Ephesians 4, verse 12. You are in ministry. You, Christian, are in ministry. So what is ministry? Ministry is simply a calling from God to bring the truth and love and joy of Jesus to others. That's all ministry is. My wife Rachel and I met a family yesterday, and the husband has been in ministry as a pastor for the last several years, and they live in a nice home in Wheaton with lots of opportunity in this area. But they're selling many of their possessions, and they're selling their home, and they're moving to L.A. to minister to widows and orphans. And they actually, they don't know, they don't have a home to live in. They don't know all the details or have it all planned out. They're just going. Now, why? Here's why. Because ministry isn't a job. It's a calling from God. And we are all, as believers in Jesus, in ministry. And ministry is hard and rewarding and worth it and draining. And so it's tempting in ministry to give up. Because in this world, there's such opposition to Christ and to Christ's people. And we often in ministry don't see the fruit that we're hoping to see. It can be slow work. There can be, and there often are, many setbacks in ministry. So we need fuel for ministry endurance. And maybe you say, yeah, as a Christian, I realize that I'm called into ministry for the Lord, but I haven't been living that way recently. Well, today, Acts 18, the Lord is going to call us back into that lifestyle of diving in and devoting ourselves, whatever our jobs or spheres of influence, devoting ourselves to a life of ministry. So here's what the Lord Jesus from heaven, Lord Jesus lives in heaven right now. He's real. He's living in heaven. Here's what he says to you, Christian, today, this morning. Here's what he says to you. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 
knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's what the Lord says to you today. And maybe you recognize those words. The Apostle Paul wrote those words to the church in Corinth about 2,000 years ago. And today, what we're going to learn is that the Apostle Paul didn't tell the Corinthians to do something that he himself was not willing to do. So let's see in Acts chapter 18, you can turn there now, Acts 18, how the Apostle Paul was steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Acts 18, verses 1 through 22. And through his example, the Apostle Paul's example, let's each of us be called up into that same high calling today. Acts chapter 18, let's start with verses 1 through 3. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he, Paul, went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul is now from Athens. He's traveled to the city of Corinth. Corinth was actually the last major place of Paul's witness on his second missionary journey. And Corinth was renowned for its wickedness and immorality. It was progressive in terms of its immorality. That's what, it, that's what the city was known for in that day. So Paul goes to the city, and as is his habit, where does he go first? He goes to the Jewish synagogue in Corinth, because as Paul wrote in Romans, the gospel is for the Jew first. And so Paul is there. The, the text says he's reasoning there. He's trying to persuade them. See, Paul loves these Jewish people so much. He has such a heart for these Jewish people. So he writes later in Romans, if I could be cut off from Christ and all of these Jewish people come to know Jesus, I would do that. I mean, that's an amazing thing to say. Essentially saying, I would put myself under the judgment and wrath of God so that all these Jewish people could be saved. That's his heart, the Apostle Paul's heart for these Jewish people. And I believe Paul's heart reflects the heart of God, who has a special heart, God does, for the Jewish people. And that soon before Christ returns, there is going to be a massive revival amongst the Jewish people who come to Christ soon before Jesus returns. Could that be soon? I pray it is. But let's look at verses 6 through 8. I'm sorry, before we, we go there, I want us to see one thing from verses 1 through 3, and that is Paul's work ethic. Paul's work ethic. Did you notice that Paul is working as a tent maker in Corinth? And in one sense, he 
what we would call bivocational because he's working as a tent maker and then he, on the Sabbath and at other times, he's devoting himself to the Jew, the, uh, preaching to the Jewish people. And, and, and the sense that we get from this is that Paul is working very hard and he's devoting himself to these people. He loves these people deeply and profoundly. And so he's, he writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul does, that he's, he's working so that the burden of being paid or his life being funded, his ministry life being funded by these Corinthians doesn't have to be a burden to these Corinthians. So he's, he's doing all of these things out of love for the Corinthian people. And, and the sense that we get is that the Apostle Paul would do anything for the Lord. And he would do anything for these people. And I just want to note as a side note that amidst all of the, this bad news that we're hearing about um, pastors out there who are falling and, and turning away from the church, I want us to know that as I've been on the elder team for a few months now and I've gotten to know these other men who are elders, that they exemplify the spirit of the Apostle Paul. These are good men who would do anything for Christ and for this church. You, I don't mean to embarrass you, Joe, but you felt that from Joe's words in prayer this morning. There is a man who loves this church. And all of the elders are exemplifying the work and the effort and the care of the Apostle Paul in this church. And you can trust this elder and pastoral team. But all of us, not just the elders, are called into this life of ministry to love people by bringing the love of Jesus to them. And could it be that today the Lord is nudging you to consider how you use all of the hours of your day to be involved in his calling of ministry. Let's move on to verses four to five of Acts 18. It says this, he reasoned, Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So again, here we see the priority of the Jewish people and that Paul was, had such a heart for these Israelite people that he was going to. But things don't go so well with the Jewish people. And so let's keep reading in verses 6 through 8 to see how they respond. Verse 6 of Acts 18. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. 
So the Jewish people reject the message and the messenger, but Paul, for his part, has done his job. You see, if, if Paul had kept his mouth shut about Jesus, their blood would be on his head. Paul would be held accountable in part because he would have had the saving message about Jesus, but, if, but he would have not shared it with those God was calling him to share it with. But Paul has shared the message with these Jews and they've rejected this message and rejected Paul. And so they only have themselves to blame for their refusal to believe and be saved. But the bad news for the Jews, so Paul says, okay, your blood be on your own head, and he turns to the Gentiles. So the bad news for the Jews is really, really good news for the Gentiles in Corinth. And as we see at the end of verse 8, many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So the light of Christ comes to this dark city. The gospel starts to spread like wildfire in this immoral city of Corinth. People's lives are changed by the power of the gospel. And don't you want to be part of something like that today in the 21st century in the suburbs of Chicago? Don't you want to be part of what God is doing in changing people's lives? Our world today is in such desperate need of us. We, like, we have the message. We have the good news. We have what our world needs. Our world needs us, Christians. So let's go. Let's, let's be, let's follow the example of the Apostle Paul and take this saving message to our neighbors and the nations. But you know what? It's not all joy and excitement. Ministry is also hard. And so what fuel do we get? What fuel does God give the Apostle Paul to persevere in this ministry that he's so devoted to? Well, let's look at it and draw encouragement for ourselves to keep going in ministry. Look at chapter 18, verses 9 through 10. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So look at verse 9. Two commands that the Lord gives Paul. The first is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Corinth. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then what he says is this. It's kind of astounding. I was 
with you. This is what he writes to the Corinthian church, and he's reflecting back on what we're reading here in Acts 18. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And isn't it strangely encouraging that? Don't we feel that often in the ministry God has called us to? Weakness? Here's us. Here's the Apostle Paul. Here's us. Weakness, fear, much trembling. Here's what we have to offer you, Lord. And so the Lord says to Paul, don't be afraid. He's so kind, isn't he? He's so gracious. He's, he's coming near. He's saying, don't be afraid, Paul. And then he says, go on speaking and don't be silent. And the Lord Jesus still gently encourages us today through his word, don't fear, Christian. Make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all I've commanded. Keep going, Christian. Keep pressing on. Keep abounding in the work of the Lord. So how are we to obey this command when we're feeling tired and worn out and afraid? So let's turn now to the promises, these powerful promises that Jesus makes for the strength that we need. Three promises. This is a sermon, so we'll have three Ps, all right? We have the promise of presence, protection, and providence. Presence, protection, and providence. Promise number one, presence. I am with you. Just let those words sink in. I am with you is the great promise of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, God says, for those who are trusting in me, I am with you. It's the best promise in the world. And it's the great promise of the great commission. Go and make disciples and behold, I'm with you always. And it's the great promise that the Lord gives here to Paul in a very direct way. He says, Paul, in the midst of your fear and trembling and weakness, I am with you. I'm with you. He's so gracious, isn't he? It's like he's coming down close to Paul in the midst of his fear, and he's saying, I'm with you, Paul. I am with you. I want to tell a story from the life of the 19th century missionary John Patton to encourage us with this promise toward endurance. So John Patton went to be a missionary to an island cluster that was inhabited by cannibals. Just imagine it. Cannibals. And before going, he was married, and then there's a child on the way. So Patton goes, he builds a house on the island that they chose to bring the gospel to, and then he brings his wife and his infant child to him. And now they're on the island with cannibals, all alone, no iPhone, no Zoom, no communication with the outside world, alone. Imagine it. 
No one to call if they're in trouble. And Patton says, our island exile thrilled with joy. (laughs) So happy to be there. But the greatest of sorrows was treading hard upon the heels of my great joy. Mary, his wife, he says, had repeated attacks of pneumonia and fever. And then in a moment, altogether unexpectedly, she died on March 3rd. This was four months after he arrived on the island. And Patton goes on to say, to crown my sorrows and complete my loneliness, the dear baby boy was taken from me after one week's sickness on the 20th of March. And he says, let those who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight, I mean, just the dark." the darkest of darkness, darknesses. He says, as let those who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight feel for me. As for all others, it would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows. He buried his dear wife and precious child and said, my reason seemed for a time almost to give way. But, and here's what I want us to hear. He says, but for Jesus and the fellowship he vouchsafed to me there, I must have gone mad and died beside that lonely grave. And John Patton went on for years and years after that to bring the gospel to the cannibals on this island. He tells the story of climbing a tree and cannibals are around him and he's filled with joy in the midst of this terrible situation because of the presence of Jesus with him in the midst of this fear. It's just amazing. This promise of Jesus, I am with you. So John Patton wasn't actually alone. And you know what? You aren't either in the mission God has called you to. The Lord is with you. Whenever you go to take the truth and love of Jesus to another person, the Lord is with you. The Lord is always with you, but the reality of his presence is all the more felt and sweet and vital as we go about the ministry that Jesus has called us to. So don't fear Don't give up bringing the message of Jesus to those around you. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. For the Lord Jesus is with you. Promise number two, protection. Uh, Acts 18.10. No one will attack you to harm you. Notice that Jesus does not promise Paul, no one will attack you, period. Look at it there. Look at Acts 18.10. It doesn't say... No one will attack you, period. It says, this is important, essentially, no one will attack you with the result that you will be harmed. That's what Jesus is promising to the Apostle Paul. You say, Joe, why are you making such a big deal out of this? Well, if you scan down a few verses to verse 12, it says there that the Jews made a united, what's the word? Attack on Paul. So they do, he does get attacked but he doesn't get harmed. 
But that's the promise of Jesus. And things go absolutely haywire from verses 12 through 17. This chaos. Let's read it. Starting in verse 12. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they, they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. I mean, it's just, what's going on? It's chaos. But in the midst of the chaos, Paul has the promise of Jesus that no one will attack you to harm you. So Paul is attacked, but he's not harmed. Why? For one very simple reason. Jesus said so. King Jesus promised that Paul wouldn't be harmed. Therefore, Paul wasn't harmed. It's the certainty, the rock-solid guarantee and certainty of the promises of Jesus Christ that we can depend our lives upon. Paul cannot be harmed. Jesus said so. The great preacher George Whitfield once said, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. You cannot die until the mission and ministry that God has given you to do is complete. And whatever happens to you between now and the day of your death, while you serve the king on earth, is all part of his good and wise plan and is all underneath his powerful promises. So keep moving ahead without fear in the ministry that God has called you to. Promise number three, providence. Providence. Jesus makes one final promise to Paul where he says in verse 10 again, I have many in this city who are my people. So the Lord Jesus chose certain individuals in Corinth to be his people before they believed. He predestined them to eternal life. He is, Jesus, our Jesus, is a big and sovereign Savior. Luke records the same idea in Acts 13, 48. Flip, flip back there. I want us to look at this. Acts 13, 48. I love this verse in the book of Acts. And if you look at the end of the verse, it says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now notice what it doesn't say. It does not say, as many as believed were appointed to eternal life. And you notice the difference. It's the other way around. It's as many as God 
appointed to eternal life, believed. God's sovereign choice and grace precede and bring about our response of repentance and faith. And God's sovereignty in our salvation and people's salvation doesn't stifle evangelism. Track with me here. It's not like, well, if God already chose certain people, why even evangelize? When I was at Taylor University in college, I had a friend who literally laid in his bed, in his dorm room, for three or four days straight because he was so wrongly disturbed by the doctrine of God's sovereignty. His thought was, if God has predetermined everything, why do anything? So he's literally, I can picture him right now, laying in this hammock in his bed for days on end, laying in this hammock for days on end in his, in his dorm room. Because he thought that God's sovereignty meant, why do anything? Just throw up our hands. But biblically, if we read the Bible, it's actually the opposite. God's sovereignty and people's salvation drives and motivates and energizes our evangelism and mission. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think about how encouraged he would have been for Jesus to come to him and say, look, Paul, I have many people in this city who are my people. They are going to be saved. So keep going, Paul. Keep, keep preaching. Keep persevering in your ministry. He, would have been, he was so encouraged by that. Here's the reality. God has promised to save people from every tongue and tribe and nation, and they will be saved. So we can spread the seed of the word of the gospel far and wide and trust that it is God who saves people. It is God who changes hearts. We speak, we pray, we love, we serve, Jesus saves. And so we can rest in that and be moved and motivated to go forward into this world in ministry, not discouraged, not downcast, not feeling like there's no fruit and how do I go on? But God saves people. And so we can be encouraged to persevere. So here's the question that I want each of us to wrestle with today. What particular ministry is God calling me into? It's not going to look the same for any one of us. You know, Priscilla and Aquila, they do a lot. But one thing they do for the Apostle Paul is they show hospitality. They open their home. They welcome Paul in. What does it look like? Like, Let's bring this a little closer to home. What does ministry look like for you? For you. Not the person sitting next to you. What is God calling me to do? Is there one person in your life that you could help take one step closer to Christ? Think about your workplace. Think about your family. Think about your neighborhood. My neighborhood has been on my heart recently, my neighbor's. Getting to know a lot of our neighbors, been in our home about six years. 
And you may be the only person in your neighborhood that knows and loves Jesus. And, and what, would it, what would it look like for you just to take one small step to invite neighbors into your home or to, to look for a need that you can serve or to enter into a conversation in your neighborhood? To take one small step in that. That's ministry. That's bringing the love and presence of Jesus to those around us. What could that look like for you? But maybe for you, it's, you feel kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. You feel like I've been doing so much recently. I've been, I've been just going all, 100 miles an hour in ministry and involved at church and involved in my neighborhood, involved at home raising my, my family and the Lord, and I just feel worn out and tired today. I feel like, how do I keep pressing on in ministry and in mission? Well, last thing I want us to see in Acts 18, and I think it's actually the main point of this passage. So after Paul, after the Lord makes these precious promises to Paul, the ensuing narrative about persecution, so verses 12 through 17, it's sandwiched between two really important comments. Okay? One in verse 11, one in verse 18. Look at verse 11. The Holy Spirit says through Luke, he stayed a year and six months. Can you imagine that? He's going from place to place as a missionary, but in Corinth, this hard, fearful, immoral place, attacks from the Jews, he stays a year and six months. He perseveres. And then look at verse 18. This chaos, this, this attack on him, and then verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer. And it's as, it's as if Luke is saying, look at how Paul persevered in Corinth. Perseverance. He stays in Corinth, this hard and fearful place, for a long time. He obeys the command of Jesus to not fear and to go on speaking and then, notice, if you look at verses 18 through 22, Paul doesn't leave Corinth and go on vacation. And there's nothing wrong with taking vacations. Uh, in fact, the Bible commands us to rest so that we may run. And to run hard after Jesus to enrich our times of rest. But here, Paul keeps pressing ahead in his missionary journey. And he sets an example of endurance and perseverance as he's fueled by God's promises. Let's read verses 18 through 22 to see how Paul keeps pressing ahead. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At century, he had, his, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Just keeps going. Verse 20, when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Perseverance. So have most of us received a vision from the Lord to stay in our city for a certain period of time like Paul did? Probably not. 
But we have received this summons from the Lord. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? What's the fuel? The Lord is with you. He's watching over you. And his saving power will be at work through you. Let's pray together. Father, those many years ago, this great apostle Paul set such a good example for us. Thank you for his example of honesty about his weakness and fear and trembling. And we often feel that in the mission that you've called us to. So Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us by your promises to keep on soldiering forward in the mission that you've called us to. Not in our own strength, but by the strength that you supply. We pray in your name. Amen.